The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. It's another gorgeous day here in the Auburn Opelika area. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7. You are officially on the line. We hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. It is officially official. The Atlanta Braves have won the National League East for the fifth consecutive year in a row. They are going uh, to the postseason, and not just to the postseason. They're already in the Divisional Series round. We're going to talk about that in the postseason coming up today here on the show. We're going to talk some more college football. We've got question of the day. We have Jordan Hill from Dogs247 joining us at 2.30 to talk about Georgia and preview the Auburn-Georgia game as it is Georgia week here in Auburn. And we've got a whole lot more coming up in the show. So it's going to be a very, very busy two hours. We have a lot to go over today here on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. Again, 334-321-1390. Carter, the Atlanta Braves have done it for the fifth year in a row. They came back from 10 and a half games down. They win the National League East for the fifth consecutive year, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. And the fact that the uh, Braves sealed this last night, I couldn't feel better. You get the extra day of rest. Uh, I've, I've been laughing watching uh, Blooper, the Braves mascot, tweet at the Braves being like, just put out a lineup that's so disgusting that like nobody wants to watch the game tonight. I think that would be hilarious if like you just pull up a bunch of single layers and throw them out there against the Marlins. Uh, but yeah, no, I feel very, very good because you get the extra rest, you get some time to maybe get get Strider ready for the postseason, and you can be ready for that winner of the the Cardinals Phillies matchup whoever it is their their ace is not going to be able to go in game 1 and so it's going to be uh it'll be great to see the the Braves with the upper hand for that five game set and have be in the uh i guess in the driver's seat um with the home home field advantage and the more rest f- to get to the NLCS and not have to go through the Dodgers or the Mets or anything like that I love that, I, and I'm really excited about this postseason for the Braves. Well, looking at the bracket for this postseason for 2022 in the MLB, it is set. It is official. It is ready to go, and it gets started It gets started in the next day or two, and 
the postseason is here, and if just a reminder for, for people that may have forgotten, coming into this 2022 season, the, the MLB postseason has changed, and not just by a little bit. It's changed a lot in the format and, and how it looks, right? So this is just a, a paragraph from MLB.com, just kind of a reminder of what the changes were from last year to this year in the postseason. And it says, as part of the new collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association, Major League Baseball expanded the postseason field from 10 to 12 teams ahead of the 2022 season. So you went from 10 teams in the postseason last year to now 12 in it this year, right? And then both the AL and the NL now have three wildcard berths up from two with the top two seeds in each league receiving first round buys. The other teams will pair up for the best of three wildcard series in which all three games will be played at the home of the higher seed with winners advancing to the division series. So instead of that one game wild card and then you play the first round, right? Instead of it basically being a play-in game into the postseason, they've wiped that out. They've done away with that. Two more teams get into the postseason now for baseball, and now you have a three-game wild card series at the home of the higher seed. So, looking at the postseason bracket for Major League Baseball on the NL side, the National League side with the Atlanta Braves, the Dodgers are the one seed, the Braves are the two seed. They get the first round by moving into the NLDS. The Dodgers now await the winner of San Diego and the Mets. Right, the Padres and the Mets will play a three-game wild card series. Winner of that goes to LA to take on the Dodgers. The Braves are now awaiting the winner of St. Louis and Philadelphia, the Cardinals and the Phillies. The winner of that three-game series will go on and take on the Atlanta Braves. So, that is what the National League looks like. Braves are waiting to see if it's going to be the Cardinals or the Phillies. You can make an argument for which one you'd rather see and which one you don't want to see. But the good thing is the Braves don't have to see the Mets again until an NLCS where the Mets would have to beat the Dodgers first. And I think the Braves are on a path to play the Dodgers again. I think the Dodgers are really, really good. I think they have stupid amount of talent mm-hmm. and, and stupid amount of money. So... That's how you win in baseball is just be richer than everybody else, right? Looking at the American League side... You've got the one-seeded Houston Astros. They await the winner of the Mariners, America's team, the Mariners, and the Toronto Blue Jays, right? And then the New York Yankees as the two-seed, so Houston New York both get the buys. They await the winner of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians. So that is what the American League looks like, National League looks like, again, with the Dodgers and the Braves. What is your, just kind of your takeaways, looking at this bracket right now for the MLB postseason? Well, I I think that... You couldn't ask for a better better draw for the uh, the Braves with the fact that they they get to see these Phillies and St. Louis kind of battle it out, tire each other out for three games, and then they come and in, come into Atlanta. I really think that that the idea of a Mets Dodgers series could be really really fascinating, just because those are two of the biggest spenders, two of the best teams in baseball. Um, I mean, the Astros are the Astros, but if I had to pick a dark horse out of the AL, it might be that, that Blue Jays team, just because you know how hard they hit the baseball. And, you know, when they have guys like Alex Manoa on the mound, they're, they're tough to beat. Um, and so I think that that'll be a very interesting 
series to keep an eye on. But uh, somewhere, uh, I found the uh, the odds for the World Series as okay. of two hours ago from DraftKings. So coming into the postseason, mm-hmm. the, the odds to win the World Series from from least likely to win to to most likely to win. The the Guardians at plus thirty five hundred, not very not very great odds. The Rays at plus three thousand. You have the Mariners at plus twenty eight hundred. The Phillies are also at twenty eight hundred. Then the Padres at twenty five hundred. Cardinals at twenty two hundred. And then you start to get to to much better odds at that point. You've got the Blue Jays at thirteen hundred. For a wild card series team, the the Mets have the best odds at plus eight fifty, which is significantly better than any of the other wild card teams. Uh, and then obviously your four teams with a buy: Yankees at plus five fifty, Braves at plus five hundred, Astros at plus four twenty five, and Dodgers at plus three fifty. That's interesting. And looking at the bracket for me. Uh, again, I think the Braves, you're right. I think the Braves got a fantastic draw to where they they have either the Cardinals or the Phillies, which will be a tough matchup, either one of those, but you don't have to play the Mets again after not saying that you can't beat them because you did just sweep them, right? But you have struggled with the Mets when you go to New York, and, and the, the Mets are a good team. I mean, there's just no way around it. The Mets are a good team, so if you don't have to play them in your first postseason series, I think that's a good, good sign for the Atlanta Braves. The Guardians having the worst odds really shocks me. I think Cleveland is a sneaky, good baseball team. They're a 91-win team. Are they going to win the World Series? No. But I do think that they can make a little noise on the American League side. And I think in the next couple of years, this Cleveland Guardians team is going to be threatening to win a World Series because they've got a lot of young guys. Their pitching rotation is good. And if they're able to get past Tampa Bay... All you got to do against the Yankees is just pitch well. You don't have to score a bunch if you pitch well and New York goes through that slump like we've seen them do this year. That's fair. I I think Cleveland's a sneaky good team on the American League side. I really do. I just think a lot would have to fall right for that team, and they don't have the the kind of name brand value that you see or the storylines with them that the other ones have. I mean, you know – the Yankees have Judge and Stanton, and they've got these guys who can hit all these home runs, and they've got Nestor Cortez. But then on the, I mean, the Astros are the Astros. They've been at that standard for a long, long time. They've got the pitching. They've got some bats in the lineup. the The Blue Jays are what the uh, b- the Baby Jays, all the sons of former mm-hmm. MLBers that are that are out there having to play Seattle, who is. He's got who so is, much momentum. Who, Seattle, if if you were going to ask a random person with no no connection to any team in this postseason, they probably tell you Seattle is is like the team that they're rooting for. And they're back in the postseason for the first time in twenty one years. Twenty one years. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the other side, I mean, well, I mean, I just think out of the AL, the Guardians don't have that star value, and I think I think. It's a legitimate thing that having stars in the postseason, I think that's a big deal. I really do. I think that, I mean, I just think back to somebody has to step up and get crazy hot. I mean, the Rays, I mean, a few years ago, they had, what's his name? The the center fielder who went crazy in that series. Uh, and then look, look at the Braves last year. I mean, you had Jock Peterson decide, and Eddie Rosario both decide they're going to go nuts. And... It doesn't necessarily have to be your true star, but you need to have somebody who's 
just going to go out of his mind here for the next month. One thing that I like that is different is the wild card format where it's not just a one game winner take all move on type of game because this is baseball, right? This is a game where on any given day, at any given time, at any given point in the season, one team could beat the other. It's sort of like hockey. Hockey has the same sort of a vibe to it, but hockey's not as bad. Baseball is that sport where it doesn't matter if you are 50 wins above another team, if you've got eight all-stars versus zero on the other side, anybody can win on any given day because it only takes a few mistakes for you to win in baseball. And so but that's I like why, that's why we have these series. Well, that's to, what to, I'm to saying. Level it out. That's what I'm saying. I like the wild card being a three-game series now rather than just the one game because we've seen remember when the Braves played the Cardinals a couple years ago and they were one game? It was one game they played the Cardinals and the and the Cardinals just absolutely rocked the Braves in the first inning and it was over. It was over just like that from one bad inning, one bad 30 minutes of baseball. And it was done. They were out. It was over. And so I like the wild card being a three-game series now because it gives you a chance to bounce back and you do have a little bit of room to to, to, to make mistakes because this is baseball where anybody can win on any given day. I truly believe that. So I think the wild card rounds with Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Seattle, Toronto, Philadelphia, St. Louis, and San Diego, New York, the Mets, I think those are going to be fantastic series. I think those are all going to be really, really close, really, really fun. I think it's going to be exciting baseball to watch. But then after that, the divisional series, I think the top two seeds on on both sides, the Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Braves, I think you're going to see them move on to the CS. And I think you're going to see those are the four best teams in baseball. And I think you're going to see the World Series winner will come out of one of those four teams. The Dodgers, the Braves, the Yankees, and the Astros. I think those are just, those teams right now are so much better. And the Mets is that would be that fifth wild card where mm-hmm. if you had to pick one from outside, it would probably be the Mets. But I just think those four teams plus the Mets are better than everybody else by a pretty significant margin right now. And so when you get to the divisional series, it may not be as exciting and it may not be as competitive, but then you're going to get to that championship series where it will be competitive again. I just think that there's so many storylines that can come out of this postseason. And, I mean, you can, you have the Braves potentially repeating. You have Braves and Dodgers potentially meeting again. You have Braves and Mets. Mets having a chance to get redemption in the NLCS. Uh, I mean, and then you have the fact that you could get the Yankees back to the World Series for the first time in forever. You could have a Subway Series World Series, which we haven't seen in, in a long time. And then you could also have the Houston Astros rematch with the Braves and have that matchup. There's so many possibilities coming. I mean, you could have Cinderella Story Mariners yeah. get hot, go on a run to the World Series. I mean, there's so many fun storylines that come out of postseason baseball, and I just cannot wait to kind of kick it all off here on Friday and get it rolling. What does it say about the Braves, in your opinion, that they come out and they win the World Series last year, and then they don't have a good start this year? And a lot of people said maybe Man, a World a good Series start in a little while now. Exactly, and a lot of people could say it was a World Series hangover, whatever it might be. And suddenly, the Braves found themselves down ten and a half games to the Mets, the biggest lead. That's that's I, I saw some stat where it was like the biggest lead in the in the division in a long time, maybe history. I'm not sure what the exact stat was. So, going into June. That's what it was. 
there have been four teams before this year that have carried a 10-game lead going into June. None of them have lost the, the division ever at any point. And the, and the Braves came back and took that from the Mets. The Mets are the first. And, I mean, the Braves played 114-win pace for a couple months here down, down the stretch as they got hot, and the Mets kind of stumbled in September. I want to make it known that all summer long during baseball season, Carter, you weren't here yet, my friend, but I said that the Mets were going to blow it. I said it. I said oh, it yeah, time and time again. said it. But I believed it. Everybody, everybody said it. believed it. But then it was started like, okay, the Mets are still playing really good baseball. Are they going to blow it? Or are they not? But they did. But it wasn't in dramatic fashion. The Braves got hot. The Braves started playing good. And the Mets weren't beating those teams they were supposed to. And the Braves were. And so the Mets blew it. The Braves won it. I think it's a combination. It wasn't where the Mets just blew up and just lost 50 games and the, and the Braves just kind of did whatever and happened to win the, the division. No. The Braves came back and won this division, and the Mets helped them out a little bit too. The Braves have won it five years in a row now, the National League East. And I think it says about this organization and about this team, they come out and win the World Series last year. They start out really sloppy and slow in this season they find them game, themselves 10 and a half games back of the New York Mets you've got guys in New York saying the series in the division is over that it's never going to happen the Mets are going to run away with this thing and win it by 20 plus games and the Braves said not so fast my friend and they came all the way back it took them to the very end but they did it and they div- and they clinch and they get the division win again five years in a row the Atlanta Braves are NLE's champions. They will wait on Philly and St. Louis in the postseason. 334-321-1390. Uh, if you're a Braves or a baseball fan, we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the Braves? What are your thoughts about the postseason coming up? Uh, it starts on Friday, and it'll go uh, for a while through October. So we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on it. 334-321-1390. Question of the day when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Question of the day here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Kind of switching gears a little bit to football uh, before we get Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 to join us at 2.30. Question of the day. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Carter, in your opinion, in college football right now, of all of the undefeateds that are in college football through five weeks of play, who's for real and who's a phony, right? If they're they're undefeated 5-0, and who is legit – And who's going to phase out as the season goes on? Well, I think you start off with the fact that your teams at the very, very top are real. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, I think Michigan's there. Clemson in the ACC is real. I don't think they're on the same tier with those first four. I think Tennessee is, is a legitimately good team. I'm not sold on Ole Miss. I'm not. I'm not either. They and Ole Miss is a good team. They are. But they didn't play anybody for four weeks. They struggled with Tulsa and then 
Kentucky serves them a game on a golden platter on Saturday. They shot themselves in the foot time and time and time again. Ole Miss didn't win that game. Kentucky lost it. And that's my opinion there. When you look around the rest of the country, I mean, it is funny to see teams like uh, Syracuse and Kansas undefeated. Look, I think I think the the Kansas ride has been really, really, really fun. But I think that's coming to an end this weekend. I do too. I, I like TCU this weekend. You have a team like UCLA who's undefeated, and, and like you said, they, they aren't real at all. UCLA is not real, not even kind of. Like like they almost lost to South Alabama. Well, they're huh? real, but they're not for real. <laughs> they are that that's not a legitimate 5 and 0 team and they're going to get exposed when they have to run through a Pac-12 that's legitimately strong this year. We haven't seen the Pac-12 be this strong top to bottom in a long time. You have teams like USC, Utah, Oregon, uh, uh UCLA, Washington. Washington. I mean, there there's some solid teams in the Pac-12 right now. And you can't ignore teams like Washington State Oregon State, they're showing signs of life. Arizona's greatly improved. They're still bad, but they're greatly improved. They can scare you at least. I mean, you, you, you're seeing a lot of improvement around the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is stronger at the top and deeper than we've seen in a little while. I think that UCLA is going to get exposed. Once they get deep into conference play, you're, you're going to see the losses rack up, and it wouldn't shock me well. It's it's going to start this week. It's going to start this week because Utah and the next week at Oregon. Mm. If if UCLA is sitting well in two weeks because they have that buy in between. If if on October twenty third we're sitting here twenty fourth because that that'll be a Monday and we'll and we'll be on the air. If we're sitting here and UCLA is seven and zero, I'll eat my words here and, and I'll say okay. I didn't. I didn't believe it because we, we saw it last year. Mm-hmm. Started hot and then they kind of faded down the stretch. I think that's exactly what they are this year. Uh, when you look at these other teams, I mean, I think Oklahoma State's really good. I think they are a hybrid of the Oklahoma State teams that we've seen recently and the ones that we're historically accustomed to. The defense is good, not elite like it was last year. The offense is good, but not elite like we've seen in the past under Mike Gundy. They have room to grow, and and that you know they're my at the beginning of the year we did our conference predictions, and I have Oklahoma State winning the Big Twelve. They have not impressed me to that point yet, but you can see where it can get to that point because you're right. The defense is good, not great. Same thing with the offense, but there is room to grow because we know what Oklahoma State can be. When I look at some of these undefeated teams, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, yes, I think they're all legit. I think they're good teams. I think they are national championship contending teams. Now, are they going to drop a game at some point? Probably. I mean, Michigan and Ohio State, one of them's going to have to. And Alabama and Georgia are going to play each other. So eventually, one of them will have to to beat each other. So that's a that's a bit of an of an assumption right now when you've got undefeated Tennessee and undefeated Ole Miss in each of their divisions. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I mean, if you're if you're a betting man, you're betting that Alabama and Georgia play each other in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If they but continue on this pace, we'll just granted, say for granted, I don't think Ole Miss can beat Alabama. I absolutely think Tennessee can beat Alabama on especially in Knoxville. They definitely could. 
And they so, definitely and could. So I'm, I'm interested to see that matchup here in a few weeks. But looking at the top four, I think they're legit. Clemson, I think they're getting better, and they've definitely impressed me a little bit more over the last week or so than the they did in the first weeks. couple weeks. Last I, two weeks, they have two very high-ranked wins. USC, not sold. I want to see what they do in that tough Pac-12. I think they are for real, but the issue is they are still the third-best team in their conference. Oregon and Utah are better than them. And and that's gonna show and like they are for real. I mean, it's year one in Lincoln er, in Lincoln Riley's tenure there. They're a good team. They're very very good, but they're not the best team in the Pac-12. I think that they are a team that you can look at at five and zero and say, okay, they're a legitimate undefeated team right now. But it's not gonna last. Yeah, and because they have to play Washington State, then they have to play at Utah, at Arizona. Cal, Colorado, at UCLA, and Notre Dame. So their schedule is really not all that bad when you consider they're playing in the Pac-12. I mean, the toughest games they have left are at Utah and at UCLA. I mean, those are the tough two games they've got left. At Utah is a brutal game. Oh, I know. At UCLA doesn't matter. You might as well be playing a neutral site game. Right, but, but that's but, what I'm but saying. At like Utah is a big one. That's the toughest game they've got left because yeah. Notre Dame is not what Notre Dame was. It's a tough game, but you've got it in Southern Cal. So, yep. USC, I may not be bought in on them yet, but in about five weeks when they only have one loss to Utah, we may have to buy in on them. Is James Madison undefeated? I think they are. They might be. <laughs> Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 will join us when, the, when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goertz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Well, it is Georgia week here uh, in Auburn. Of course, the game being played in Athens, but it is Georgia week, and luckily, we've got a Georgia guy that comes on every single week. We've got Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, we contemplated um, uh, just skipping this week, but we figured we'd go ahead and give you a chance to come on anyway. Yeah, you know, I was on edge. I was really hoping my guys in Auburn would give me a call and uh, <laughs> decided y'all came through for it. Yeah, we figured you may enjoy talking about Georgia a little bit here in Auburn, but uh, we'll go ahead and get into it. We'll talk about last week before we get into the big matchup in Athens this weekend. Georgia goes on the road uh, for their first time, or I guess the second time this season in the SEC, and... They come out with a 26-22 win at Missouri, but there was a uh, big question there for a while whether the Dogs were going to come back and pull it out. What did you see about Georgia and their victory against Missouri on Saturday? You know, it was a lot kind of reminiscent to the game two weeks ago against Kent State. I mean, Georgia has two early turnovers, you know. The, the biggest thing with the defense uh, in the game against Missouri was just a couple of explosive plays here and there really hurt them. Um, I thought the defense as a whole played pretty well, and Again, wind up forcing five field goals. But to me, it's all about the offense. You know, this is a, a team that started the season without any turnovers in its first three games. And, and you're looking at um, turnovers in the last two games that have kind of uh, really, really stung, really hurt them. And uh, it was a situation where Georgia really flirted with danger. I mean, I think if Malachi Starks doesn't make a tackle in a 62 yard run by Cody Schrader to get him down to the one, and then Georgia winds up getting a stop. 
I mean, if he scores that touchdown, I think Georgia is down by 17. Um, a couple plays here and there, Georgia flirted with disaster. Uh, but credit again to the team for finishing strong. Had to have it the fourth quarter and got some big plays in the passing game, got some big runs by Dejon Edwards uh, as well as Kenny McIntosh. And, you know, credit to them for finding a way to win because they, uh, they didn't do themselves any favors in the first half, but they wound up building themselves out. Jordan, Georgia struggled a little bit on third down last week. What did you see? What what were some of the issues, and what can they do do going forward to get that righted? You know, it's kind of simple, but in those first few games this season, they did a very good job of setting up. When they did have third downs, they were third and fives, third and twos, third and threes, and there, that wasn't really the case against Missouri. A lot of third and longs, you know, they they found themselves in a couple different situations where false starts or hands to the face, penalties like that, push them back and set up those long third downs. And, you know, it's nothing crazy. It's nothing, uh, you know, uberly, uh, you know, you got to really think about. They, they just found themselves in much tougher situations as far as those third downs go. And uh, with the way they opened the game, you know, it was a situation where I thought Seth and Bennett kind of started slow, uh, kind of got into a rhythm as that game went on. Uh, but they just kind of backed themselves into a corner a few times when it came to those third downs. And, and more often than not, early on, they, they wound up not being able to pick them up. Jordan, at what point in the football game on Saturday, Georgia and Missouri, at what point were you thinking, okay, Missouri might actually win this thing? And then at what point was it where you thought, okay, Georgia's going to come back and, and seal the deal here? Yeah, when uh, Harrison Nevis hit that 56-yard field goal, I thought Georgia's in trouble. You know, I thought that Georgia had a legitimate shot at losing that game. And I think it was really the first touchdown drive Georgia had that ended with uh, Dejon Edwards scoring on a short run. But I thought they still had a chance, that they were still fighting. And, uh, you know, the defense had played really well in the second half up to that point. So once they scored that touchdown, I thought they had a legitimate shot at kind of saving off uh, that Missouri team, and, and you can really tell in that fourth quarter, looking at the Missouri defense specifically, you know, credit to them for how they played, but you could tell they were worn down. You could tell that it had been a long four quarters, so, you know, the three and, and something changed to that point. Um, I, I thought once they scored that first time, they still had enough time at that point to get the ball back and try to go score again. I thought they still had a chance at uh, getting out of there with a win. We're speaking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, were you surprised to see Missouri's effort and energy playing against Georgia coming off of the emotional loss at Auburn the week before? I was, but you know, it's kind of interesting. I sort of think what we expected to see from both teams was actually pretty much the opposite of what actually happened. You know, we thought Missouri may come into that game feeling beat up after the way they lost that Auburn game, and we thought that Georgia would come in and say, you know, we, we didn't play well against Kent State, but maybe we can uh, show everybody what we got. And that wasn't really the, the case. You know, Missouri, I thought, came in fired up. I thought that getting those stops early were really helpful. You know, it set up uh, Missouri to get the crowd into the game. And, and I do think they played a factor in that. I think that they were kind of energized to open that action. And, and then Georgia was just trying to kind of find itself, kind of couldn't get out of its way uh, in that first half, having those turnovers, like I mentioned before. Yeah, well, it was definitely not what I expected. And, you know, it set up a situation where Georgia really needed all four quarters to get out of Columbia with a win. Given the, the, the struggles, I guess you could say, of the past two weeks, what kind of has been the, uh, the, the mentality, what has been the environment around this Georgia program this week heading into the Auburn game? 
You know, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. It's just a situation of cleaning up things. I think that they, you know, it's kind of two extremes. You know, you look at that Oregon game where practically everything went right, and then you look at, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks where I wouldn't say everything's gone wrong, but there's been more mistakes than we're accustomed to seeing from this Georgia team. I think what they want to do is kind of hit that happy medium. I mean, obviously they want to play perfect. Um, but to get to where we all think this team can be, there's clearly a whole lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Um, I think it's a situation where they understand what they're capable of, and I think you saw that on the sidelines, some of the frustration during that first half. You know, guys like Jamon Dumas-Johnson really getting fired up and, and really seeing uh, they had missed opportunities. So I think that's sort of what the, the mentality is this week, is just kind of returning to form and, and trying to show everybody that they are going to be a contender this year. We've got Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us here on on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, it is Auburn-Georgia week, and I don't know how it is over there, but here it it feels a little deflated coming into this matchup. Uh, Auburn fans, I know know you know what's going on over here. You used to be here, and you know how it is over here in Auburn, but what is your your take on Auburn right now and the situation with a 3-2 football team and Brian Harson probably having the hottest seat in college football? You know, it's going to be a really interesting test for Auburn on Saturday. I think, to me, if Auburn's going to hang in this game, which I think they're something like a four-touchdown four underdog, it's all going to be on Robbie Ashford. And that's going to be asking a lot, especially in a road environment. But, you know, we saw them make plays last week against LSU. We saw his explosiveness, being able to make plays and being able to generate offense. To me, that's going to be what is going to be the key for that Auburn team to come into Sanford Stadium and have a chance to hang around. And I think they're going to have to get Georgia flat-footed. I think they're going to have to create plays. What Robbie's so good at, and Kirby Smart pointed this out today, you know, is generating plays by scrambling, but not because he takes off and runs. It's from scrambling to generate open receivers, to get guys open and throw the ball downfield. I think Robbie's going to have to have an outstanding game for this to be close and for Auburn to have a chance to win this thing. Jordan, I'm not sure if you've seen the quote by uh, Auburn center Brandon Council that he when he met with the media this morning. Oh yeah, oh but, yeah. Don't uh, worry, I, I already saw that one come across. Yes, I <laughs> do. Did. You uh, do you think that that's already made the rounds in the uh, Georgia football building and uh, is up on a on a uh, bulletin board somewhere? You know, I don't know how seriously things like that are going to be taken if it's going to end up on a bulletin board or something like that. But I will tell you this, uh, the fans are seeing it. And uh, if uh, the offensive line uh, doesn't play well as far as Auburn, um, you know, they're probably going to hear it from some of the Georgia fans. But, yeah, I don't know how much. You know, I think a lot of uh, both teams and, and the players, they understand when it comes to meeting with the media and stuff like that. Um, you can kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. So I, I don't know if... You know, if we were to walk in the facility, if you were to see that up on any place, but uh, sure, the fans are paying attention to it for sure. Yeah, I'm sure there. I'm sure there's a few few messages going across the boards over at uh, Dogs Two Four Seven, huh? And um, but uh, as we look at the spread for this Auburn Georgia game, it's anywhere from 29 to 30 points this weekend. In my lifetime, I don't remember a spread being this big for Auburn Georgia. And so the question I have for you is, how does Georgia get up for this game and get ready? Because yes, it's Auburn, but they're favored by a lot of points against the Tigers at home on Saturday. So how does Georgia and Kirby Smart, get them ready to go when they are such heavy favorites? Well, I think it's a situation where, kind of like we were talking about a few minutes ago, they still have a lot to prove, even being the number two team in the nation. I think a lot of people 
are starting to question the amount of talent and what this team is capable of. And, you know, I still think that they're capable of quite a bit. You know, I think they've just had mistakes. And, you know, more than anything, when you look at the turnovers they've had, a lot of them have been self-inflicted. There's not been a, many of those plays where it's like a defender makes a great play to, you know, knock a ball out or something like that. It's been, you know, mishandling handoffs or, you know, trying to force the ball downfield and ball getting intercepted, things like that. Um, I think this team has a lot to prove still, even given what the expectation is. And I think they'll try to do that against a rival on Saturday. Jordan, when you look at this Auburn game, coming off a couple rough ones, who are some players that need to step up and kind of help get this thing back on track and to the standard that we've become accustomed with Georgia being a number one or number two team any any given week? You know, I think it's going to be a situation where we want to see if Brock Bowers gets the ball more. You know, he really wasn't targeted a whole lot in that first half, and you know, it kind of drew a lot of attention. But I think part of that is credit to the way Missouri played Georgia and the things they did to, to kind of slow them down. But also just on defense, you know, this defensive line is going to have a huge test without having Jalen Carter, who is arguably the best player on either side of the ball for Georgia. You know, they have got to step up. Guys like Michael Williams, guys like Nazir Stackhouse, guys like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, they have to have guys uh, answer the challenge because, you know, I think we've seen that this Auburn offensive line uh, still has a lot uh, to prove and is not uh, one of the more experienced lines and has had its issues. But uh, Georgia has to take advantage of what looks like an an advantage uh, on the line because if Auburn uh, is going to hang around, it's going to be because they're able to to kind of meet Georgia blow for blow in the trenches. And so, Jordan, before we start talking about the SEC East a little bit, final predictions on, on what you think is going to happen in, in Athens on Saturday between Auburn and Georgia? I really feel like it's going to be very similar to last year where the score was 34-10. And I see Georgia winning this thing by around three touchdowns. I just don't think Auburn's offense is going to be good enough to keep pace. I don't think that Auburn's offensive line is going to be able to contain Georgia's defensive front, even without Jalen Carter. I think Robbie Ashford's going to make a few plays here and there. I do think he's talented, but still think he's very inaccurate when it comes to consistently throwing the ball. So, you know, I think it's going to be something very similar to uh, 34-10. I'm thinking maybe 33-14, something around in there uh, when we get to Saturday. And, Jordan, you talk about Georgia fans uh, hearing the noise and, and seeing what's going on around them. How are they feeling about Tennessee right now being 4-0 and in a top-10 program? Well, I think there's the understanding that you look at that game last week against Missouri and you recognize, had that been Tennessee, Georgia probably loses that game. You know, I think people understand that on the whole, Georgia got really lucky surviving that trip to Missouri. I think it was uh, a situation where Georgia fans understand that this team is not unbeatable, you know, that this team is vulnerable if it gets in its own way. You know, I think that was really the, the story of that Missouri game was not being able to finish drives and turning the ball over. I think they understand that uh, they could be beaten and that they got to step it up by the time those games, uh, those really big games come up in November. And, Jordan, one more thing before we let you go. You can be honest with us. Do you miss covering an Auburn program that's now 3-2, and two, has a coach on the hot seat and, and drama all the time, or are you kind of enjoying uh, coach or, uh, covering a team that's 5-0 that's and oh and number 2 in the country? You can be honest with us here. 
There, there's good parts of both of them. You know, I went to Georgia, <laughs> so it was nice to come back. But I, I enjoyed my time in Auburn very much. Had a lot of friends there. And, uh, uh, you know, there would be no shortage of stories if I was still in Auburn. But uh, I am happy with how it turned out. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, man, we appreciate you coming on and previewing Georgia and uh, previewing this matchup this weekend. Auburn and Georgia Saturday, 2.30 on CBS. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter, at Dogs247 on Twitter as well, and Dogs247.com. Got all kinds of football content. I'm actually right outside the men's basketball uh, practice facility. They're out and, and working and uh, going to write a few stories out of that as the uh, basketball season gets here. Awesome. Well, yeah, basketball season, it'll be here before we know it, and we'll, uh, we'll for sure be getting your thoughts on that when that season comes around. But, man, we'll talk to you next week after Auburn and Georgia play on Saturday. Sounds great. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you coming on. That's Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Let's take our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up here in this first hour here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn, Opelika Sports Leader. Big thank you to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 for hopping on the phone, talking to us about the Georgia Bulldogs as they pull out a victory over Missouri last week as they prepare for Auburn coming to town on Saturday. We always appreciate him hopping on every single week from Dogs 247 and I want to kind of talk about Georgia for a second because we've seen them start out 5-0 and this season. And, of course, we saw them start out with Oregon and manhandling them 49-3. to Then they beat Sanford 33-0. It was an iffy game, right? Then they go on the road for the first time, and they beat South Carolina 48-7. to But then they back it up with a Kent State performance, 39-22, and then, of course, Missouri 26-22, where... They almost lost against Missouri on the road on Saturday. So the question is, compared to last year's team, that was so good, and how this year started for Georgia where we thought they didn't miss a beat, is this team better than last year's team, right where last year's team was, or maybe even worse than last year's team? To this point in the season, where where does Georgia stand in your mind? Look, I think, I think Georgia... I mean, they, they had a historic defense last year, and I think that this year they are very, very good. I think they have weapons on offense to do um, to put up points, which I think is something that maybe, whether it be Kirby has known he has the best defense in the country and he can lean on them, or or whether he can or hasn't trusted his quarterback or hasn't trusted his offensive coordinator – I think now with Stetson being in the system as long as he has, with with the fact that he still has his offensive coordinator, I think they are trusting the offense to go out there and be more explosive. And they have the dudes. I mean, we we keep saying it every week. Brock Bowers is the best player in the country. I mean, they've got three or four tight ends that would be the best tight end in the country if they were starters at other schools. Like you would you would hear buzz about that. I mean, if if they were at Iowa, you'd be talking about four first-round tight ends or something right now. I mean, you're talking about three legitimately right now at Georgia. Um, but it's – they are – I think they've dealt with some injuries. I think that they are a little bit worse, but they're still the best team in the country. And and that's 
they are the best team in the country, and I think that as they get healthier, they've been a little banged up on offense. I know uh, as they kind of round into form, I think that they can be as good as last year's team. Well, one thing that Jordan said that really stood out to me was how Georgia has seemed to have missed on some opportunities this season. And in some of these games, especially this past week against Missouri, it seems like they missed on a couple opportunities where they could have beaten Missouri by more and they could have been in a situation where it wasn't a close game at the end and they didn't have to come back and win the football game. So I think that's where Georgia is a little bit behind of last year's team because early on this year we saw them do that, right? And against Oregon, they didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss any opportunity. They scored just about every time they touched the football. So that wasn't an issue. But I think you've seen it a couple of times against Kent State and against Missouri this past week where maybe there were times where last year you saw that Georgia team just push it right through the heart and and not think twice about it and take advantage of those opportunities. But Georgia's still, like you said, they are still a fantastic football team. They're still a top three program, in my mind, and a top three team in the country right now. And I think as the year goes on, you're going to see Georgia cash in on those opportunities, and you're going to see them get better as the year goes on. And that's what good teams do. That's what good programs do. They get better every game as the year goes on, and the defense is still playing fine. I mean, they've given up. They have not given up more than 22 points in a game, which that's a winning success in my book. So I think they're going to be fine, and I think you're going to see once they get a little healthier on offense – they are going to take advantage of those opportunities and they're going to get better as the year goes on. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, every team gets better as the year goes on, but it's going to be... That's not true. Generally. The good do. ones do. The top programs Most do. Most programs do. Unless you, you the thing goes fully off the tracks like 2012 Auburn. I mean, you get better over the course of the season. Unless you have severe injury all over the place, you you. You get better. Other teams might get better than you're at a faster rate than you're getting better, but but I mean it's you're getting reps. You're you're out there every week in practice. I mean I think that this this Georgia team is really really good, and I think they're going to show it over the rest of the season. You're not going to see another close game. I think for for a little bit until maybe Tennessee. Yeah, they've got Tennessee at Mississippi State and at Kentucky. So it helps with the East actually having some teams that can compete with Georgia for the first time in a long time. Hour number one, officially in the books. we got a whole lot more college football and Braves talk when we come back in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. the line live on ESPN 1067 Auburn Opelika's sports leader online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app to be on the line call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 you are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you here for the next hour of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. 
Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway right here on ESPN. 106.7, if you missed anything from the first hour, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center, and you can find it all right there. That's ESPNAU.com. You can also enter the SEC football challenge we have going on right now. Uh, It is week six of the SEC season, so make sure you get on there and go and make your picks. One lucky winner, or not lucky, I guess whoever picks the most games right at the end of the week will win uh, some good prizes from our four sponsors, the Orthopedic Clinic, Wickles Pickles, Johnny Brusco's, and Buffalo Rock Pepsi. So big thank you to them for sponsoring that all season long. You can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the contest tab, and make your picks for week six of the college football season for SEC. So that's going on. We've got a lot of good picks going on. A lot of good games this weekend. I mean, I'll give everybody a a freebie. Uh, Pick Georgia. And you never know. You never know. You could be be the outsider and pick Auburn. I think we we do know. Maybe. Maybe. We'll find out. But hour number one in the books. We got a whole lot more coming up in this second hour. Uh, Back in the first hour, we talked to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, uh, previewing Georgia and Auburn, talking about the Dogs. Uh, We have him on every single week, so it worked out. Uh, Him coming on this week. And then in this hour, we're going to have making headlines. We've got question of the day. We're also going to talk about college football as a whole and how it has changed from one year to or from from like the last couple of years and where it's at now five years ago to now where college football has been where it's coming from where it's at right now and where it's going we're gonna kind of talk about that with the landscape of college football so that's what's on tap here in the second hour we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us we'd love to hear from you call in be a part of the show and be on the line and as we get into making headlines here on wednesday october 5th 2022 auburn football's landing king uh he announced that he is redshirting the receiver is redshirting he appeared in four games this season for auburn and he has decided to to redshirt and not play and sit out this season and so carter your kind of reactions to seeing the news about that i'm not shocked i'm not shocked i don't i don't blame him at all I don't blame him at all. He is a unique talent. He has a chance to be great. But Brian Harson and this coaching staff refuse to use him. The, one of the few times he gets on the field, he makes one of the best catches we've seen all season long. And then they don't let him back on the field, and they don't throw the ball his direction. I mean, I, I, I very much am pro-Landon King, especially in this instance. This is what's best for him. Last year, he didn't take a red shirt. Well, this year, he gets to. This year, he can he can take his red shirt, protect a year of eligibility, and he can get ready for the spring and whoever the head coach is going to be then because it's not going to be Brian Harson. No, I agree. And I, the only reason he's able to red shirt is because he didn't play against LSU because that would have been his fifth game. And so, yeah. I mean... In in part, you could say he's I don't lucky. Think, I don't think he's the only one that mm. has has is thinking about this or has already started the process. Does this? Does, I mean, I mean, I've heard rumors about other people doing this as well. And when that starts to happen, when you start having guys that you expected to be contributors on this team that start taking red shirts, 
To me, that says a lot about the leadership of the program. That says a lot about where the guys in the locker room think this thing's going. And it kind of goes into the conversation we had yesterday about some of these guys that we thought were going to get some action haven't. And we haven't seen these guys that got a lot of praise in the fall, a lot of praise in the spring. They haven't been used, and they're not playing. And so now, and again, talking and kind of previewing what we're going to get into later where college football is right now, this is an option where they can mm-hmm. sit out and and decide, you know, maybe I'm going to transfer and go somewhere else. So does this mean that Landon King is transferring? We don't, don't know. So. but I don't think so. I don't I, think so either. I, I really don't think so. And um, I think that Landon loves Auburn very much and knows that the Auburn fan base loves him. If you look at the, if you look on Twitter, the amount of supporting tweets for Landon King. If if this was somebody else, or if this was a different time in in Auburn's history, I don't think you would have seen that type of message. But I mean, if you if you go look at his his Twitter likes, there was one he liked about. Don't worry, Landon. We're gonna find in in the tweet at the end. It said, "Don't worry, Landon. We're gonna find somebody who will who will get you the ball." And that's a pretty good encapsulation of why this is happening. Right, right. I mean, and he, he, I, I, I don't think that there's not a reason why Landon King should not be on the field. Like, he should be out there. I agree. And, and you can tell me he's not getting separation, and I'll be like, okay, he's six foot freaking five, and he's long, and he's got athleticism. He can jump. He is a contested catcher throw him a 50 50 ball yes and let him go get it because absolutely it's, it's not a 50 50 ball for landing king well look he's not the first one to do it and he's not going to be the last one to do it to sit out red shirt and, and take a year our show producer mckenzie you got something on this what you got yeah i just want to go um kind of back on carter's point about his his performance last year he had five p- passes for 59 yards that doesn't show that he's electric i don't know what will um, I do want to just say, I don't think there's any negativity surrounding this decision for him. I think, like what Carter said, he's he loves Auburn. He wants to stay here. But I was looking at the uh, play calling after his um, appearance in the Penn State game where he ran for 24 yards. Mm-hmm. They ran the ball every play after that. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've, we've, we've talked about how sometimes the uh, offense – under Brian Harson and Eric Keesaw does not make sense, and that's that's a great example of it right there. I think that when you look at Landon King's time, the limited reps he's gotten on the field, he has that catch against Penn State, and then we are talking about a catch in the Iron Bowl where if Brian Harson has the in-game awareness to call for two to go for two in that moment. Then, then you're sitting here talking about that's one of those plays that gets the painting and has the the frame picture with the little like medallion about the game and all that. Like that's a legendary moment in Auburn history, and he made the play, and he honestly he deserves that moment. And the in-game coaching, the decision to not go for two there, to then have to get in a two-point penalty shootout, which is still the dumbest thing on the planet. Still better it, than a it, coin flip over time. It ruined. No, it's not a two-point penalty yeah, shootout. It is. is not better than that because because the, the D you you're giving the offense is going to have to su- sustain a whole drive. Still There's, better than the NFL. I wholeheartedly disagree. 
I, I have never disagreed more. It, w- lining up from the two-yard line and saying, okay, get two yards or don't. I don't like it. It's a much, 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 much worse way to decide a winner of a football game. I don't like it, but it's a heck of a lot better than, well, here's a coin flip. If you win, you're, if you win the coin toss, you're probably going to win the game. Good luck. I mean, that hasn't, in all the overtime games so far, we've seen multiple, this the, season, we've seen multiple drives by both, like, both teams have the had the best ball. game in the last decade aware, last year ended the, on the, on offense, the coin toss. The offense in the NFL, the offense has to sustain a drive. The defense has a chance to get a stop. That's better than two plays, one play by each offense. The That's two point so conversion's not good. I'm not saying it's good, but it's at least better than the NFL saying heads or tails and good luck. I mean, you can literally, we saw in the NFL in 2015, it ended in one play in a playoff I don't, game. I don't think the, the NFL system is perfect, but it's better than what we've gone to in college now. College, I, they're I both bad. The, the initial overtime, what, two overtimes is fine. That's fine. And I think that the way we had it, and the reason why we changed it is because we had that seven overtime game Which was between awesome. A&M and LSU. And it, it was, was legendary. Awesome. But two point... Two point plays. To, I agree. To, that's to not the, the answer. Game is legitimately worse than what the NFL has when you get to that third overtime. But back to my point: Landon King's catch in that Iron Bowl should be remembered as one of the legendary plays in Auburn history. Should it be. Should be. It won't and, be. And his coach didn't allow him to have that, and that's part of the reason why his coach isn't going to be here in two weeks. Which is, again, that's one of those where we've seen so many times the question, the questionable calls and the questionable decision-making from Brian Harson, from the play calling, from the game plan, in games, before games, all of that. I mean, just chalk it up as, what in the world was that? Again, we see it all the time. 334-321-1390. Let's head to the phone lines. Terry, happy Wednesday, man. Happy Wednesday, guys. How y'all doing today? We're doing good. Doing what you right, got? Terry. Guys, uh, as y'all talk about, look, I've never made a secret, and you guys know this. I've never been a fan of Brian Harson's. Wait, are you are you are you serious, Terry? Are you saying that with a with an S on the end? Is is it plural of Harson? <laughs> well, you want to, you want the other punchline? Sure. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've never been a big fan just because I didn't think he was a fit. The reason yeah. Bruce Pearl's been successful at Auburn, the reason Nick Saban's successful at Alabama, the reason Kirby Smart's successful and going to continue to be successful is because they had a track record in this league. When Brian Harson was hired, he had no track record in the Southeastern Conference, which made the hiring very puzzling to me. Which, Terry, brings, uh, me, brings me to this question. When Brian Harson is inevitably removed as head coach at Auburn? Not if, but when, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's inevitable at this point. Who do you want? To be the next. I've been, on the, I've been on the Hugh Freeze bandwagon for a long time. I felt there, like he should have got the job before when when Harson got it a couple of years ago. There, there and are simply, a a lot of people on the same boat with you. I I understand that, but I just I have a hard time believing that some of the people in that in Sanford Hall and around Auburn's campus are going to be willing to deal with the baggage that comes with Hugh Freeze, and that's and that's been my end of. He doesn't keep his mouth shut. He he finds ways to continue to put him himself in the spotlight in a negative fashion. We saw that this summer. But I mean, I just that's my concern with Hugh Freeze. And that's why I'm not sure if he's going to be the next head coach. I think if he if he just kept his mouth shut, 
he would be the head coach at Auburn. He probably already, already would have been the head coach at Auburn. Carter, I think I think he has enough of a track record in this conference in recruiting and winning. He beat the guy across eight at home and away. Agreed. Um, and so, so he has a track record. Then that's what the guys, that's what the the, the so called powers that be really want. And I agree with you. He has some baggage, but most people, most coaches do have some kind of baggage. Yeah, but I just he, think you're he, making a, I think has... you're making a big mistake if you go another direction. I really do. I, th- I think if you go with Grimes, I think you're asking for Harson again. I agree. I just I, just, I, I, I just don't think, think that's, that's fair at all. I mean, Grimes Grimes was at Auburn. He's been in the SEC, and he's mm-hmm. he's an offensive line coach. He's going to build that team from from the trenches. Okay, we heard the same things about Harson. We did not hear this. Brian Harson right. never been to the SEC. No, but he never been. He had been a head coach, and Grimes hasn't. And, oh, and, and that's fair, and, but and, but he also understands Auburn, and which I think is worth noting. So so we're going to go. Would you have a guy that understands Auburn, a guy that has recruited well and beaten Nick Saban? I mean, See, that, I, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. It's a no-brainer for me. He checks all the boxes. It's and it's a, it's a matter baggage. of baggage. It's a matter of baggage. And you it know, a matter of the one thing on Hugh Freeze, and I've seen people make this comparison. I don't think it would be to this level, but I have seen people make the comparison that if Auburn decides to go with Hugh Freeze with the baggage that he does bring in the past that he brings, I've seen people make the comparison that he could be kind of what Bruce Pearl has done at Auburn, where Bruce Pearl had that that tarnished past in the SEC, where he had a lot going on, and then he, mm-hmm. Auburn was his second chance, and he turned it around. Would it be that to that extent? Good no, I don't Lord. think so. The I'm comparison just, between what Bruce Pearl did and what and what Hugh I'm telling, Freeze I'm hit telling the you what is I, not comparable. I'm telling you what I saw though, and what I've seen. People have made but that to where you bring in a guy that was successful at one point, has a bad past, and he was given a second <laughs> chance in the conference. He could turn it around. That's what people are saying. Do I think it's going to be that way? No, but that's just what Look, I've seen. I, I just don't want a coach that name searches himself on Twitter and hops in everybody's DMs and says anything but, remotely negative about him. But what they both have in common is they both proven they can win in this league. That's fair. I'm I'm with you on 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 that on that one. I am a hundred percent. But I, well, I I don't think it is a one to one comparison of Bruce Pearl to Hugh Freeze because Hugh Freeze has a lot more baggage than than Bruce Pearl ever did. Well, I, that's who I'm for. I, I I think it's time to erase that. It's been a long time. I think it's time. Everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. So everybody makes mistakes. I mean, he's made them. He's 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 got the. If it, look, if his wife and God can forgive him, we can too. I think you're you're and you're not the only one that thinks and is on the Hugh Freeze train. I think it, it's been a train that's been a thing for a long time. Terry, we appreciate the call, man. Uh, well, I I truly believe, I think Hugh Freeze could be successful at Auburn. I 100 percent believe that, but I just think that the baggage is going to make it hard to to sign off on the hire. And then, I mean, look. Auburn's been been the the object of plenty of of articles by the national media in in a negative light. Go look at what Pat Forty's done his entire career. Hugh Freeze coming to Auburn is just another target you're going to put on yourself from people around the country, and and that's that's another thing that you you have to take into account is the the perception and the baggage that he carries. And I think that's why, in my opinion, Auburn won't go that way. Agreed. I just, I don't, I'm not saying that he couldn't be a good coach here. I'm not saying he, he has win. He, he can win. He could win here. And I think he could be successful here. But I just don't know if Auburn, with their track record and Auburn's history and Auburn's tradition and everybody that's involved in Auburn football, I don't know if they're going to go that route, which also has me a little questionable about if they would go after somebody like Lane Kiffin, who may not be that perfect fit for what Auburn 
is and what Auburn does. But that's why I was so high on the Brian Harson hire because Brian Harson wasn't that guy that fit Auburn. It wasn't the, the Auburn guy, right? He wasn't that. He was something outside. Auburn tried to go after that, and it didn't work. Doesn't mean it can't work again, but I think they have shown and it's proven that you've got to go after somebody that at least has SEC ties slash Auburn ties. If you can get both, then you're in a really good spot. we got to take our first break in this second hour. We'll come back and discuss this a little bit more. 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you as well. More of On the Line when we come back. You are On the Line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Back to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Terry, you had something else to add on to your call. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, What made Gus Malzahn successful against Nick Saban? He forced him to do things he didn't want to do. And I think that's the same thing Hugh Freeze would do. And if you're going to line up play big boy or football against Nick Saban, Alabama, you're going to get your hat handed to you in more ways than one. Yeah, That's why he's the right choice. That's why he's the best choice. And that's why he should be the only choice. Take care, guys. We appreciate your call back, Terry. The one thing, that that's an interesting point to make. Now, the one thing that would concern me with Hugh Freeze in that comparison was that is what Gus Malzahn did and was able to beat Nick Saban. But then what did Nick Saban do? He adjusted because Malzahn used the up-tempo, no-huddle offense. And, well, yeah, rules and, changed. And then, yeah, then the rules changed, and you couldn't do that. And Malzahn Saban had them changed. Yeah, exactly. And then Malzahn couldn't figure out a way to beat him after that, and Saban then started beating him again. Hugh Freeze, if he were to come in here, well, I mean, sure. Malzahn got him twice after after that rule change. He got him twice, and that's really what Malzahn was able to do at Auburn was beat Bama, and that was kind of it but I mean, he didn't a, beat Georgia and he didn't beat LSU so I'm saying and with with Hugh Freeze my concern would be sure he may be able to draw up a game plan the first two three years he plays Saban but what makes Nick Saban so great is he adjusts and he learns how to beat these guys and then he does it consistently over and over and over again so you can make this argument about any coach really but even if Hugh Freeze came in and has that game plan to beat Saban like he's done before what is going what's going to be different with Hugh Freeze versus other coaches in the past against Nick Saban that he would be able to consistently beat him again? Well, I think I think Hugh Freeze is probably better at adapting his offense than Gus Malzahn is. I mean, I think that I mean, if somebody adjusts you, you just adjust right back. You just start trying new things. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Work. I don't think Gus Malzahn did that well. I don't think he did either. I I we're talking about different people. That's the thing, though. I mean, and Let's also be honest here. Nick Saban is 70 years old. He's not going to coach at Alabama forever. Because he's not going to live forever, as far as we know. Uh, <laughs> That's what but, I'm saying. I mean, do we know that? Like, But, look, if we are talking about the football coach, Hugh Freeze, I'm all in. I'm all in. And, and, and it's a matter of, it's it has nothing to do with, with the football coach. It has Everything, his ability to get hired at Auburn has everything to do with his baggage. And that's what I'm going to keep coming back to because, look, we can sit here and talk about how great of a coach he is. And I agree. He would win. He would succeed. He would score points. He would recruit well. But it's the baggage that is the issue. When you talk about the baggage, is it, 
Is that your opinion on why you don't want Hugh Freeze or why Auburn won't hire Hugh Freeze? Because I think there's a difference. Because in my opinion, I wouldn't mind it, but I don't think Auburn would. I don't care as much about the initial baggage that that is going to be the issue when Auburn has to sign off on a hire. That's the issue. But I think somebody, like, look, if he's going to be the head coach at Auburn, somebody needs to tell him, hey, hand over control of your Twitter. You're not allowed to go search your name and fight people in their Twitter DMs like you have in the past. And anything that's, that's happened that's, to you, you no. better you better go ahead and, and write it down on this piece of paper so we know. Because a lot of stuff's already been turned up. But Auburn's going to find it. I mean, Auburn goes after it. Uh, we've seen that already. Look, I just, I just don't think... I have a, I just have a hard time right now seeing Hugh Freeze being signed off on. I know that there are people who want him. I know that there are influential people that want him. I mean, that's it's long been rumored that that Hugh Freeze has powerful people in this corner. But it's it doesn't like that's those aren't the people actually making the hire. It's going to be Chris Roberts and whoever the athletic director is at the time whoever those are the people making the hire they are they're making the hire and they are going to consider things like the past and what they are going to do at Auburn and and here's what you have to think about too with somebody like Hugh Freeze is he did those things in the past is he going to do stuff like that again you would think not with a second chance you would think not and that's where some people were getting the Bruce Pearl comparisons was a guy that has a past got his second chance he came in and Bruce has done things clean from what we know there were guys earlier on that obviously weren't in whatever Auburn's had their their troubles but for the most part we've seen that Bruce Pearl has done things the right way so a guy that did it the wrong way got caught got in trouble and then got basically banned and, and, and basically just shut out for a while, he got his opportunity to come back and do it again, and he's taken advantage of it. Would Hugh Freeze do something like that? Maybe. But that's something that Auburn would consider when hiring somebody like him because of what he did in the past. It's not about his football skills and his football coaching skills. You're right. I think he is a good coach. Is he good enough to win national championships at Auburn? I don't know. But, I mean, you could ask that about anybody. I mean, you, I don't know. there's a very short list that, pro, like, of anybody who can just step into a program right now in the middle of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and take you to a national championship level. I mean, that's not a long list. And and you, some of them, there may be more on the list, but you just don't know. I mean, it's, coaching hires are, in their nature, are kind of hit and miss things. They, they either go really well or they go really poorly. Or eventually you get what, what you got with Gus Malzahn, which is years and years in a row of four lost years, apathy starts to creep in, and eventually people just get tired. And mediocrity sets in. I mean, yeah. the, the same thing over and over. And I think another way you could go with this is, does Auburn go after a guy that's already been a head coach, is an active head coach, is a non-active head coach? Or does Auburn go after an up-and-coming guy, a coordinator somewhere, or a position coach somewhere, and give him his first shot as a head coach at Auburn? I think that's an interesting question and an interesting topic you could go into because what would be best for Auburn? In my opinion, I think where Auburn sits right now compared to the other teams in this league and the other teams on their schedule – I don't think you can afford to go after an up-and-coming guy right now. I just don't think you can. I think you got to go after somebody that's a coach, a head coach, has done it before, has proven he's done it, and at this level, 
at an SEC level or something similar to it that has SEC ties and or Auburn ties. And I think you've got to go after somebody that is a head coach or was a head coach. And you know what? Who freeze falls into that category? Look, I, I, I get it. The want to go get a proven head coach. I get it. I really do. I just want whoever is the right person for this Auburn job right now. That's what I want. That's all I want. And that is, it's up in the air on who that is. And we're, we're going to discuss this more when we come back. 334-321-1390. What's your take on Auburn's uh, upcoming coaching search? We'd love to hear from you more when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. As we continue on this conversation topic, we've kind of gotten into about Auburn's coaching search that is uh, going to be happening probably pretty soon from what we uh, can assume it kind of goes into the topic I wanted to talk about was how has the landscape of college football changed over the last five years and starting with coaching is a great way to go because you look at a guy like Brian Harson at Auburn he's a year and a half in and he's about to lose his job right he is a year and, why, and a half and why, in and why is that happening in terms of because it's it's people are getting fired faster why is that happening it's because of television network money mm-hmm. in the Big Ten and the SEC. There is now new money that allows you to to chase after success. And you know you're going to have that money. It allows you to do things that you previously weren't able to do. We are, we are in a different ballgame now with the SEC and the Big Ten than we have ever been at any point. Which and also, we are trending towards a power two which also gives schools and programs the toxic mentality that it's a win now or be gone situation. And that's just not right, in my opinion. Like, I get that you want to win now, and I get that you want to be successful right now and compete for championships right now. I get that. And there's some programs across college football that are able to make that demand. But they also have the program that can meet that demand. And take Auburn, for example. This is a school and a program and a team and a fan base that wants Auburn to compete for a national championship every single year. And you know what? Auburn should, for the most part, they should do that. But with the landscape of college football... I don't think competing for a national championship every single year is realistic for anywhere in the country besides about five programs yeah but at five the same six but look at where college football is it is a win now it's game. win now no i i i like you can compete for championships every couple of few years but but to like right now auburn's not in a situation like alabama and georgia where you're recycling talent at such a high rate and at such a high level oh i, I know that, yeah that, that it doesn't matter if you have seven players draft in the NFL draft off your Georgia defense, you're still the best team in the country a year later. Ohio State's the same way. Alabama's the same way. Oklahoma could be that. I think when they come in the SEC, it's going to change a little bit. USC could be that. That's about it. And Clemson. 
That's about it. And in terms of if we're being realistic, teams that can compete for a national championship year in, year out does not matter. Like down years, you're still competing for a championship. Right. And I, I don't think it's realistic for anywhere else to be like every single year. The, the like the fan base's expectation needs to be a national championship. Well, it shouldn't be that way, but that's where it's heading. That's where it's going. And and firing coaches one, two, three years into their into their term, right at a school, that's not a good way to go. That's not how you build a successful program. I don't care who it is or how it's done, right? If a guy comes in brand spanking new in college football, especially in the SEC. You need minimum three years to try to do your thing and turn a program around. You need three years to do it, to do it correctly and get a fair shake at it, in my opinion. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Why not? Look at what's going on at USC. In year one, they're undefeated and they're one of the three best teams in that conference. In year one, and they're gonna get better. They're they're going to win that that conference in the next two, three years. It's not going to be like you need three full classes. It's like they are at a top 12 level right now. Right now in year one. And and they're, I, I think the old way is you needed three years. When you had to do all the recruiting through, through high school, through junior college, and you had to do it that way. Transfer portal changes everything. That has helped it a lot. I would it admit it's everything. helped it a lot. And, and, there are there are paths to get being really good or great even faster now. I I don't necessarily think it is a it is not a rule of thumb every single time out right now. You it's three years until until you can be great. I don't think that's the case. I mean, this this Auburn roster has pieces on it. The right person comes in, leverages the portal, recruits well in a year. This team can be significantly better. It could be significantly better next year, and then in two years, we could be talking about a 9-10 win team if it's done correctly. It's all about doing it correctly. That's a big, big point that I want to hit on because is this? there's a big question of if that is the way to build a good, successful program. Sure, you can go in and pick up a ton of dudes out of the portal and have a really good team for a year, maybe even a good team for two years. But then four and five years, you've still got to add in good recruiting classes and wins on the field and build a program. And that's sort of what I'm talking about when you bring a guy in is is you've got to build a program and you need some time to do that. Now, you're 100% right. Transfer Portal has helped that tremendously. And if you don't hit that and do it the right way, you're going to just screw yourself over. So there there is a rule when somebody takes over as a head coach they can essentially cut the fat off the program and and process players without penalty it's what Lincoln Riley did out west and now that there is not a 25 signing limit going forward it's a different game you can go hit the transfer portal hard get better a lot faster and then backfill through through recruiting after that I don't think that there is a I don't well, what's your because because the, the recruiting rules have not the new ones have not taken into a full effect right now that's why yes you are seeing a little bit of that right now at Michigan State they got really good and then all of the talent left going forward I think it's there is a legitimate path and strategy to leveraging the transfer portal early getting good immediately 
and then being able to backfill behind and have that talent where you don't have a significant drop-off. And that's what I want to see. And that, so you bring up the example of USC. That's what I want to see from USC. If they do that, then they absolutely. And they, and they very well might. And if they're able to do that and not do what Michigan State did, then yeah, that's where we're seeing college football change. That, we've seen the standard of a coach you can be fired within a year if you don't do it right and if you don't please the guys who, who signed your paycheck. And I just I don't like that standard that's being set, but that's where we're at in the game of college football. 334-321-1390. Let's head to the phone lines. Dan, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, how's it going? Hey, we're doing good. What you got, man? Well, on the same line of what you're talking about, but what did Lane Kiffin do? He went to Ole Miss and in year two, wins 10 games mm-hmm. he's recruiting better and he's on track probably to win 10 games again yeah so it, it can happen if you get the right coach and you get everybody behind him you know i mean harson kind of got a he picked a method of trying to clear out the players that weren't going to be the right type of players but he probably did it the wrong way he probably should have made it a two-year period of trying to get everybody mentally in that direction so he didn't have this mass exodus of players yeah. and then trying to pull it all together. I think if he'd have been a little less harsh out of the game. Now that's the learning experience. You know, you can say that's where he made a mistake, but then when Auburn, the pe- certain people at Auburn decided, Hey, you know, let's get rid of them. Then all of a sudden that made, made this, the problem 10 times worse. And so here we are, you know, you have a dead man walking. It's like, you know, unless he goes out and wins nine games, you know, that's probably the end. So it's it's like you have to have everybody get on board. But mm-hmm. as a program, as long as you feel like you're going in the right direction, as long as you have something going right, you know, if you're competitive, if the recruiting looks good. I mean, if we were if we were to like 20, 20 in the country or 25 in the country right now in recruiting, then a lot of people would probably feel like, okay, you know what, the, you know, the future is bright. You know, but because that kind of got sabotaged a little bit and – and you can't blame players. You know, they're waiting to see the product on the field. You know, they're like, I don't want to commit until I know. Just watch, you know, Dan. It's like, whoever is the next coach, if that happens this year, and it looks like it probably will, everybody has to get on board. That's like, right. Yeah, that's right. And to Carter's point, you know, and to Carter's point, Harson, he came in and he was trying to cut out the players that maybe didn't fit his system his way, but he didn't fill it up through he the back end the of talent. recruiting. He didn't bring in the, the talent with that. He's He's been extremely limited in recruiting. He's been, I mean, you we all see the stories about just how bad he's been himself out on the recruiting trail. They, like, there's no excuse for big coaches in the state of Alabama to never have met him. And that's my issue there. With Lane, To go, going back to your point about Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin has recruited fine, I guess, but where he's made his hay to this point at, in his time at Ole Miss is he has been dominant in the transfer portal. He has leveraged the transfer portal about as, as well as any coach in the country, and it has set him up for success this season, and it'll continue to do so as long as he's there and does it the way he's been doing it. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. 
And and I think too, we Lane Kiffin may be the type of guy that and we talked about this when the transfer portal was created and it was starting to get going. Lane Kiffin may be one of those guys who thinks and is successful at the way of maybe I don't have to recruit a top ten class. Maybe I'll recruit a top twenty five class and fill it with transfer portal guys and dominate that side of it and still compete in the SEC. And you know what? Maybe that will work long term. And you know what? Maybe it could work at a place like Auburn. Yeah. One one more last thing. If you the, the programs that you named that you said, hey, these programs can play for a national championship every year or you can compete for it. Those are the programs that the minute that they won, everybody jumped on board and, and, and the money came and the facilities came and everything else came. And now those are the top-notch programs. If, if, if we did it with Bruce Pearl, you know, we finally got the arena and now we're, now we're giving him everything he needs. And now we're, we're on that upper echelon that we need to be. But – he, he kind of made us believe, and everybody got on board, and then here we are. And yep. The same thing needs to happen to whoever the next coach is. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep, hey, we appreciate the call, Dan. And when you when you talk about that and, and making the comparison of Bruce Pearl, you want it's crazy what happens when you buy into a coach that that has a mindset right, and you give him what he needs. But you've got to look at it for both sides. Let's let's just go ahead and say the inevitable that Harson will not be the ke- the head coach here next year. When Auburn brings in Man, somebody else. coach in four days. Exactly. When Auburn brings in a new head football coach, you want, and, and the fans have called for this. Obviously, we're hearing it right now, right? The fans have wanted Auburn to just fully buy into whoever it's going to be, and you want them to do an extensive search, find a guy that fits what Auburn needs, SEC ties, Auburn ties, whatever that may be, upcoming, uh, previous head coach, whatever that may be, right? Let's say Auburn goes and finds the guy they believe is going to be it, and they go to the first guy and he tells them yes, unlike the Hartson situation where they had about four guys tell him no before he decided to take the job. So let's say Auburn brings in their guy, right? You've got to wait a little bit to make sure that A, he can win football games, B, he can recruit and get guys out of the transfer portal, and C, that things are going to go in the right direction, right? When you bring in somebody to a new job, you don't throw the kitchen sink money-wise at them the first day they show up. You gotta let them prove themselves a little bit, so you don't get yourself in a Texas A&M situation where Jimbo Fisher has a ninety million dollar buyout. I mean, you, no, nobody's asking whoever the next co- to to give them an extension after year one when there's nowhere for the person to go, like right. A&M did, because they're just a bunch of idiots right. out in College Station. But what I'm saying is, you gotta see it from both sides. Where whoever comes in, they've got to make an immediate impact. Unlike Brian Harson, they've got to come in and recruit and recruit, recruit, get out and talk to coaches get out and talk to players get guys coming in the transfer portal and get guys to buy in and show that Mm -hmm. Auburn as a program is going in the right direction and if you can do that early on and show results on and off the field early enough then I think Auburn will back that guy up because if they don't Auburn will be a mediocre program for the next 20 years if they don't buy in you you have to back whoever the, the next coach is from day one because Dan is right guys like Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and 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 Dabo Sweeney or not Jimbo but um why did my name Kirby Smart I totally got those mixed up when those guys went to their programs they said this is what I need this is what I want and they got it and look they're dominant programs so if a guy that comes to Auburn can prove those things early on, I think Auburn will buy in. And then, to your point that you make all the time, that Auburn is a top 15 program that can win a national championship, that will then become true again if those things happen. Yeah, I mean, I, but I think that when you, when you look at what's going to happen here with the next coach, 
I think whoever comes in needs to come in with a little bit, hat in hand, humble, understand that, hey, Auburn can, like, Auburn, the community and the fan base and everything that comes with Auburn can help me build the program if I leverage it all correctly. Don't need to come in with any arrogance. Don't need to look down on any aspect of Auburn. You need to come in, hat in the hand, humble, talk to the right people, shake the right hands, get everybody behind you. The way that Bruce Pearl has. I think that that's a, that's a great example. Bruce Pearl? It's a perfect example. Do you, see, do you see how often he or how, how often he's out in the community at Auburn? It's a little bit different than when you look at, at, the, at the football coach. It's a little bit different. And, and I think if you come in with the mindset that you know you have to absolutely bust your butt 24-7 on the recruiting trail, and you give that effort, and then you do the things that you should do to, to help the Auburn fan base and community help you build the program, then everybody's bought in. I don't think that's happened with this staff. I don't think that's come close. And I think that we, we, we can talk about what happened in February all we want and how it's affected recruiting. Recruiting wasn't good before that. And then if you want to go even farther, this current recruiting class is not going well. It doesn't affect this team on the field right now. It's, it's not happening on the field right now. So, I mean, like, look. Whoever the next coach is, there's going to have to be buy-in behind them from from everybody around the the Auburn program. But then there also has to be buy-in from the coach into Auburn. That's just as important. That was very well said. I agree. I mean, there's you've got to come in, you've got to learn from the past coaches, and you've got to learn from the coaches that are coaching at Auburn. Because look, Auburn's a very special place. But Auburn's a very difficult place to be a, a head coach for any sport because of the standards, the tradition, and the history, and the fan base that is Auburn University. And that is what the next coach has to do. Learn from the past, learn from the present, and prepare for the future. We're going to take our final break. We'll be right back. Wrap up the Wednesday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Well, as we wrap up this show today, if you missed any of it, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast, or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center, and you can find it all right there. Uh, You can find it commercial-free right after the show, so be sure you go and do that. Stay tuned, though, from 4 to 6. It'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck here on ESPN 106.7 from 4 to 6. They'll be talking all things Auburn football as they get ready for Georgia. Uh, Today, we talked to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Uh, we've had some good conversations about college football and, and Auburn and what needs to take place in the in the next coaching regime when that, if, I guess, if and when that does end up happening. But look, it's been a great show today. And uh, again, if you missed any of it, be sure to go and find the podcast. But Carter, we've got a couple of minutes left before we get out of here. Um, as we as we look at just where college football is going, right? You look at where it's going and 
the win now mentality is very much alive coaches know when they are hired you've got a couple of years to get this thing turned around or else programs are not afraid to fire you even if you win some football games they're not afraid to get rid of you I just think you have to show progress you can't backslide which I mean we've <laughs> we saw pretty immediate progress with Brian Harson getting to six and two and then it's just been a continuous backslide ever since that point uh but yeah no I think that that's very important and I look whoever is Auburn's coach next year that person because of the dysfunction of the last year or so there will be backing and support from Auburn's side but I will come back to it if the coach does not buy into Auburn the way that Auburn is going to buy into the coach then look it's not going to work because Brian Harson did not do that Brian Harson did not do that, and it came back to bite him for the last year or, or 11 months, really. It's bit him ever since that point. But the next coach, I think the this dysfunction will, will, will cause Auburn to buy into whoever it is, and then that person, as long as they buy into Auburn, they can be successful. N- narrative about all the extra garbage going on at Auburn aside, if the next coach buys into Auburn, he will succeed. Nick Saban bought into Alabama. They bought into him. Kirby Smart bought into Georgia. Georgia bought into him. Dabo Sweeney bought into Clemson. Clemson bought into him. You kind of see where we're going with this conversation. That's all we got for today, though. We got two more days of the week. We'll be previewing Auburn, Georgia, and a whole lot more. Come back tomorrow, 2 to 4. Same place right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.